City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Directors Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our Board President, Doug Leeds. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars. We'll be back later in this program to tell you about the American Theatre Wing. But right now, let's join our distinguished panel. When audiences go to the theatre, they certainly can see the work of actors and designers, they can hear the work of playwrights and composers, but the unseen hand behind every theatrical production is that of the director. Today we're going to bring them out from the shadows, or at least the back of the house, and talk a bit about their work, what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. We have a terrific panel, obviously as with all of these programs, I could spend the next 30 minutes listing their credits, but we'll do this very briefly. Beginning with, on my right, Doug Hughes, director of Richard Greenberg's The House in Town, now at Lincoln Center Theatre. Next to him, Scott Elliott, director of the current Broadway revival of The Three Penny Opera. Next, John Rando, director of the Broadway musical The Wedding Singer. To my left, Lee Silverman, director of the recent production of Lisa Crone's Well on Broadway. And finally, Joe Mantello, director of the revival of Three Days of Rain. Welcome to you all. Thanks. I, I want to start very simply with asking, what is the first show you directed? If it was in school, want to hear about that, and then you can also tell us what the first professional production you got to direct was. And we'll start again in the same order with Doug. Right. Um, I was in college. I was a, a biology major uh, at Harvard College, and they, there's no... Um, I was just attempting to flee uh, the arts, I guess, at that point. And, um, and I, but uh, the, you couldn't study the theater at Harvard. It was not considered an academic subject. However, it was a, a big part of uh, extracurricular life there. And I fancied myself uh, an impresario. I wanted to start a theater that would produce work done by my fellow students. So with great fanfare, I, I started something called the Premier Society. And I hated all the manuscripts that were submitted to me. And, um, and I said that it, it, uh, what I thought was that everybody had limited attention spans. And if we could write a review, everybody could write something, you know, three minutes long, five minutes long, six minutes long, I would put that together. It was not considered glamorous to direct this. I had thought I'd be the, you know, Flo Ziegfeld of it all and not actually have to direct the thing, but it, it fell to me to direct and I found uh, I liked it and uh, others liked it and uh, that's how I began directing. And, we, and all of the, the writers were wonderful. They were all people that, uh, from the Harvard Lampoon who became, uh, you know, now write The Simpsons and Saturday night, and, uh, and the wonderful Mark O'Donnell, who's the book uh, author of uh, Hairspray, and his brother Stephen, who wrote for David Letterman, and it was just fun. It was in a 
It was satire and uh, quite wild, and it was, uh, it was a marvelous experience. I don't imagine I'll ever feel uh, as exhilarated as I was, uh, you know, when I was 20, when I did that play. Before we go on, we should just uh, let people know, you made the comment about fleeing the arts, which in your teenage years seems, seems a strange comment. Can you, can you explain to everybody what you were fleeing? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, I probably am the only person here who was, you know, got trapped in the family business. I mean, my parents are actors, and uh, I, uh, uh, so you know, it's it's like some strange sitcom plot. You know, I I, I wanted to become a lawyer or an accountant or uh, uh, a biologist, and uh, you know, I doggedly pursued uh, biology, uh, which I had no talent for, um, and then uh, you know, uh, things changed. Scott, your first gig? Uh, well, I, have a, I had a kind of checkered past also and fled the arts. I, I used to act in Broadway musicals when I was, um, when I was in my early 20s. And um, then, uh, you know, I hated it. And uh, well, I spent my whole life wanting to do it, and I hated it. So then I thought, well, I'm getting the hell out of it. I mean, I'm getting out of, the, out of it. And I went back to uh, college and started to get a PhD in um, psychology at NYU. And then... I hated it. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I wanted to be an artist, so I just started my own theater company. I started, uh, you know, I went out and I kind of called on my old friends from the, the business, and I started my little off-Broadway theater company called The New Group. And, uh, and I really didn't know what I was doing, but I was building, my, I built my own sets, and what I really did for the first thing was um, a sort of bootlegged, uh, not bootlegged, but sort of uh, stolen uh, version of Brian Friel's Faith Healer. I didn't pay for the rights because uh, we, we didn't really have the money. And uh, it's funny that Faith Healer's running right now on Broadway with Ray Fiennes. Uh, but I, um, I just kind of, uh, I had a group of friends that I got together as a, who are actor friends of mine, and I just said, well, I'm just going to give it a shot. So I kind of, you know, got got together and got this thing going, and I directed this thing. And, and some of my friends came and said, oh, you have talent. You should keep directing. And then a year later, I did a play uh, by Mike Lee. Uh, called Ecstasy, which was sort of the thing that um, was sort of my first professional thing, I guess. I, I, it didn't seem professional at the time, but it kind of became professional. It kind of <laughs> got discovered. It's, it was just sort of, we, you know, me and my friends built the sets and, you know, had some actors in it. It got a few that I knew and a few that I didn't know. And, and then the new group sort of got discovered as a result of that production. So I didn't really direct much before that. And so then I, that's it. That's, that's what happened. So. John? Uh, I was um, an actor in junior high and high school in a suburb of Texas, <clears throat> in, uh, and uh, my dad was an aerospace engineer, and I was acting in high school and uh, also in musicals in Captain Von Trapp and like this, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, I had a great drama teacher, and um, in my senior year, I was 17, he, um, he thought that I should uh, uh, direct a play, so he gave me a play to direct. It was a a, a play called The Butler Did It, which was a, which is a, a it's a really lame comedy of, about this butler who commits a murder and you have to try to figure out who did it, <clears throat> who done it, comedy. And uh, it was a great experience for me because I was already doing, um, I was already doing lights and sound and I was acting and I was doing everything and so it was just sort of putting it all together. And uh, it went very extremely well. I mean, the, the audience even stood up at the, at the end of the show, and, and except for my drama coach, who uh, did not stand up, which was a, uh, which was a uh, very sh strange little feeling for, for a emerging sort of whatever I was at the time. And, um, 
But then years later, uh, we had a phone conversation. This was years later, after I'd won the Tony for Urinetown. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation, and we talked about that moment. And he said, I just always know you could do better than that. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> and did he give you some notes on Urinetown? <laughs> he did. Um, I think we should revive that. Revival. So, the, uh, so, the, so that's sort of, that was my first job. as a high school job, in a way. Yeah. Lee? Um, I was acting mostly as a kid, and I did this summer theater program, and um, I was 15, and I went, and the first day everyone did their monologues, and we were in Cambridge, England, and everyone was doing all of their various things, and we would talk about each monologue, and after the class was over, the teacher said, Lee, I'd really like you to stay after, and so I was thinking, oh, I'm so good, I'm so good, and, um, and she said, oh, Lee, you are terrible, um, you should really stop acting, but you're really smart, and you should um, think about maybe directing and she handed me um, Ibsen and Chekhov and I spent the summer um, directing um, while everyone else got to do their little parts in the play and it was really she changed my life and um, when I got back I did a lot of directing um, in high school and in college and actually my first play that I directed was um, a play called Compromised Immunity which was this tiny obscure British play um, that was on a double bill in my high school with Really Rosie. And um, it, I, I think back on that, and actually I had a similar conversation with my drama teacher at the time, and I said, where did I get the nerve to think that I should do this play, you know, when, um, when really all anyone wanted was, was the musical and the happy play? <laughs> and she said, oh, you were always like that. So, um, so that, I think that was sort of my beginning. Joe? Well, like a lot of you, I... Um uh, I, w I started as an actor, and um, in uh, the late 80s, I think, I was fortunate enough to be taken in by a uh, circle repertory company. Uh, was no longer, they're no longer around. And um, they, had a, they had a sort of a second company called The Lab. And uh, I went in as an actor and had, had sort of a not very good experience on a, on a play. So I thought, like, you know, I got indignant and thought, like, well, I'm, I, I'll direct. And so I did a, I did a, a play uh, that a friend of mine, Peter Hedges, who's uh, you know, a novelist, playwright, screenwriter now, um, it was one of his first plays. And, uh, and it went really well and, and, uh, and uh, it was really successful for its three night run. And I thought like, oh, this is great. I, 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 this is what I do. And um, then um, the following year, that that play, that little production, was moved to the main stage, and it was a disaster. <laughs> and um, and uh, but the great thing about being a member of Circle Rep was that you know it was a strange, dysfunctional family. It was this amazing place. Your parents were there, and and uh, and but what they did, what they what they what I felt was was that. There was a commitment to me, and as a commitment to 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 my growing as as a, as an artist, and that it wasn't about how good your last production was or how well it was received. That you know, after that sort of disaster of that first show, they gave me something the next season. You know, and they and and I think certainly without them, I don't know that I would have even become a director because it wasn't in the it wasn't in the realm of possibility for me but because they sort of kept gently nudging me and saying go ahead it's there keep going and, and nurtured it it was uh, it really made all the difference and uh, when I walk by the uh, theater now which is a restaurant mm. <laughs> 
very sad. So it, to follow on that, the people who nurtured you, and you talked, you were in an institutional setting there, you've all worked with not-for-profits as well as in the commercial arena. What is it and who is it that helped you along as you were developing your careers? I mean, the high school drama teacher aside, were there specific people who who guided you as you were developing as director? I'll ask you, John. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. Um, well, t I, I, I studied also, a graduate, I have a good graduate degree from UCLA, and there were a couple of wonderful professors there, but, and who really helped me um, uh, develop um, and get my sort of craft together. But then once I graduated, I went down to the Old Globe Theater, and I became an assistant director. And I, I, I sort of had a different path in that I assisted for five years, I was an assistant director, and I worked with about 20 different directors. But sort of the, the sort of most important mentor to me was Jack O'Brien, marvelous director, who everyone here would know. And, and um, he, uh, I was his assistant for about a year and a half on most things he did in San Diego. And, um, and his influence was, was very important to me in growing. I, I worked also with other, uh, in New York, I worked with um, Lynn Meadow and, and uh, Adrian Hall, and, and numerous other, Joe Dowling, these wonderful, wonderful people. But the assistantship for me was a wonderful time because even though I was making no money and I basically was living on people's sofas in Manhattan, I had a, I had a voicemail at that time because we didn't have cell phones and I had a P.O. box and I would go from couch to couch. And I, in fact, a, another director and who was an actor at the time, Nicholas Martin, called me the house sitter to the stars because that's basically <laughs> what I was doing. If there was somebody, like I was assisting on a show called Lips Together, Teeth Apart, John Tillinger was d the director and Terrence McNally was the playwright and, and I didn't have a place to say, stay after that show opened and I had to be in New York for f several months and Terrence was going away to do a show so he offered me his house to stay. So that's sort of how I, how I managed but, I, but the assistant program for me was, was a wonderful thing because you're in the room with wonderful actors, you're writers, directors, and you're just sort of the sponge and absorbing how to do things, how not to do things. And uh, so that's, that's what, that's, that, those are the influences for me. Has anybody else assisted? Have you been through that experience, Lee? Yeah, I assisted Doug many, many times. It was one of the most, I mean, I, that he was the first person that I thought of. It was one of the most um, important, I think, parts of my career so far has been working with Doug and we met at New York Theatre Workshop which has been an institution that for me has been a real artistic home. I did my first internship there when I moved to New York and um, have stayed. I've um, directed many um, workshops and readings there. I directed a show on their main stage last year and um, I had the opportunity to meet all sorts of writers and directors and um, meeting Doug and working with Doug. That was the beginning of a great collaboration. It was uh, incredible you know to have somebody you know, because it's such a solitary job, really. I mean, you have all these collaborators, but when something stops or when there's just that, you know, the room fills up with the smell that something's not going well or there's a problem, it, it, you can feel terribly solitary, you know. And I, I love having an assistant in rehearsal, and I never, I never went, I never had any proper training, you know. I never... I, I taught at Yale for a couple, a little seminar about Moliere plays for a few years, and I felt terribly self-conscious when I was asked to go up there because I'd not, not only had I not uh, ever taught in an academic environment, but I'd, I'd never gone to 
drama school. I mean, it was very old-fashioned, fantastic the way that, you know, people used to become lawyers. I, I felt apprenticed. And that moment, you know, which I think is a defining moment when you're a director where uh, it just, it, something needs to be said or something needs to be stopped or uh, perish the thought, something needs to be directed. And uh, you, for a while, as an assistant, you have the luxury of witnessing that moment, thinking your own thoughts, and being a backbencher. You don't have to rise and act. You don't have to uh, redirect the energy or make the proverbial uh, suggestion or simply say, may I see it again, or whatever it might be. And I, I loved that. And I find myself coveting that job again sometimes, uh, it, it just, just to actually be in someone else's uh, rehearsal is, would be a, a, great, a great privilege. But is it tough after you've done that, and certainly people look for who are the really good assistants, to then make the leap to directing yourself? Joe, you were already acting with, at Circle Rep, was, so yeah. they knew you yeah. and wanted to give you a chance, or did you have to pitch them on the idea of directing? Well, it was very freeform in, in, in that Circle Rep was this odd <laughs> place, you know, it was, so, so it was kind of like, I want to do it, so there didn't seem to be a reason not to do it. And again, it was like a small scale, I mean, it was a, you know, a little 99-seat theater, and you had a, a budget of, I think, like $100. To do, to do the show, and you'd have a day to tech it. You'd rehearse you know, three or four weeks and do it. So, but it wasn't, there was no pressure. There was no, it really was, you were doing it just to do it, to try it. Um, there weren't those kind of strict definitions of you're an actor. You know. Lee, you assisted Doug many times. Did Doug give you the chance to direct? Did he open the doors for you? Um, I think when you're assisting, um, it's not so much what you're looking for. I mean, I think what Doug was saying is, is so true. I mean, I assisted Doug. I did a lot of assisting for the first six or seven years that I lived in New York, and I, um, I loved it. I mean, I think a lot of people at that time said, oh, people are never going to see you as a director. And there was definitely a moment where I said, I can't assist anymore. I really have to be doing my own work. And I had always been doing it on the side, sort of peripherally. But um, I think it's invaluable. I mean, especially as we've all said, it's so lonely in a way being a director. You're the only one there and having the opportunity to see so many different styles of people working and in so many different places and traveling to other theaters. And I, I mean, I think that that um, experience was really incredible and then it really needed to stop. And luckily with um, a lot of um, good fortune and luck, I was able to really parlay that into my own career, which has been really fantastic. And I think um, it is, um, it was for me the right path. I don't know that that's true for everybody. But, um, but I loved it and um, was really glad when it was over. I mean, was really glad to be then given the reins and to say, now here's your chance. And the, you know, when, uh, uh, I mean, it was a tragic circumstance. But uh, uh, another uh, assistant of mine, Derek Anson Jones, had brought me a play when, when he was working with me on uh, Henry V in Central Park. And he said, this play was written by my prom date uh, uh, when I was, went to Sid the Sidwell Friends School. 
It's had one production, but nobody will do it in the East Coast. Um, it, the play Wit and um, uh, uh, Kathleen Chalfant was playing the Queen of France in, uh, in Henry V. And uh, we were sitting there one day, and I read the play, and I said, I think, you know, she'd be just unbelievable in that part. And he said, well, if you ever run a theater, maybe you'll actually let me direct the play. And within a year, I was running a theater, and we, uh, the Longmore Theater, and we reopened the little house up there, and we did it. And, and then the play, we, we produced it with some cronies in New York. And... Um, uh, uh, Derek uh, uh, was a, an AIDS casualty. He was uh, mortally uh, ill, and uh, and uh, uh, Lee uh, did the London production. Lee uh, did the uh, uh, Los Angeles production, uh, and uh, and it was a one. You know, this phenomenon of she she'd known uh, Derek. She'd work. Uh, with me, and uh, she did extraordinary, th uh, you know, w w looking after Derek's uh, uh, production, uh, both in Los Angeles and, uh, and London. And so, Scott, with young directors, you're running a company. Do you have the opportunity to give them opportunities? And yes. What do you, what do you look for when helping someone or deciding to let someone maybe take a leap, either from only a handful of productions or indeed just assisting? Uh, well, you know, it, it, every situation is different. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I'll meet somebody that I think is uh, really great, like this young director who's directing the next main stage on, at the new group is this guy Carl Forsman, who runs a little theater company of his own that he started. So it's sort of kind of interesting. We have a kind of nice understanding of the way it's supposed to be and so he uh, really impressed me in a production that he did with us last year and so now I'm having him in again. You know, it, it becomes very complicated because you know it, even though it's a not-for-profit theater and I did start it and literally the, the, the play that that made the new group Ecstasy I produced on five thousand dollars <laughs> and um, well because all of my friends were you know we, it was just a sort of communal effort you know uh, now they cost uh, so much more than that I mean it's crazy how it grew over the past ten years and um, uh, so I you know you, you do you, your care I'm a little bit more careful you know about like making sure that you know the writer Whoever, whoever's play that we're doing is, uh, you know, comfortable with the director. That's a very, very important thing because I, I, don't, I don't like getting into those sorts of casualty fights between the writers and the directors. And as their artistic director, that's sort of my job. And um, uh, but I do, you know, so so it really always, it always varies. And sometimes a director is not young in years, but maybe young in professional experience. And but we we do like to give people uh, opportunities. But on the other hand, sometimes we like to hire people. Like we we would love to have Joe come or Doug or John or Lee, you know, come and and, and direct something at the new group also because um, it's you know the the standard of work uh, is uh, high and their work is so terrific. But we also have a, a a new second stage that we just started a couple of years ago that we're still really figuring out called the new group Naked, which I guess is sort of very very low budget, although not as low budget as I started. It's Certainly a good budget, <laughs> I think about it. But, uh, you know, it's sort of, and that's a place where we can really birth new uh, writers and directors without the pressures. Like, almost in a weird way, like Joe was talking about, um, about Circle Rep, where we can birth people in a way that doesn't put the sort of pressure of the New York scene on their shoulders, which is hideous. You know, it can be really hideous, especially on young artists. And it can really break people. 
you know, uh, too early. So the new group naked is just a way where we can kind of do it in a in a more a less pressured way. So, Do you, I'm sure you guys all run up against this all the time. You'll have a, a young director and a you know a, a beginning career director say, "How do I get started? What do I do?" And it's a very very difficult question to answer because you know look at the panel here and we've all we've all come at it from very very different ways. So it's you know. I don't even know where to send people, you know. That I don't know that the, 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 the kind of institution like a circle rep is around anymore that, that, can, that does that kind of nurturing. It's really difficult. Um, the developments that we do is like, you know, we can kind of help people. We do a lot of readings and things like that. It gives people a chance, but, you know, there really are only three opportunities a year at the new group on the main stage. One of them I do. And then there's two others. And usually it's a play that somebody is attached to you know, a director is attached to or something along those lines. And that's why we started the second stage. But I get about, I'd say on the average, five letters from directors a day wanting work. Yeah. And from all over the world, really. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting, but, and you want to be able to kind of have them in, but you don't really have enough time in the day to meet them. I think the so. other thing too, I mean, you know, working, because I work, anyway, the assistants, I think there's the transition from sort of assistant to director is really interesting one though, because what happens is as an assistant, especially if you do it a lot, uh, just from my own experience and from watching assistants that I've worked with, they meet people, they meet actors, they meet directors, they meet stage managers, they meet um, they meet the theater institutions, the people that run them. And from that, there's somebody out there who's looking for a director. And it's not that, it's not that you know, everyone can do that job. And so sometimes I'll get a call and say, do you know of anybody? Well, please, th these two people I know. So that's how I got my first sort of real professional stuff was, was simply by knowing people. I had uh, first professional gig in New York City was because I had assisted on a show and there was an actress in it, and she uh, was understudying a play at Lincoln Center, and her other understudy that she was with, her husband runs a small theater in New York, and they were looking for someone to direct Twelfth Night. And she said, oh my God, you gotta meet John. And so I met him, and there we were, and then I, I had the job. And, and it's really, the, thing, the great thing about that I, that I experienced was that there's just the simple fact that you get to know so many people. Joe had that, had that community of circle rep, but, but in a way, as an assistant, you can form your own sort of community because you get to know certain people, certain directors. And believe me, when you find a good one, you want that assistant as often as you can because you, you, you wanna hold on to that. Like you said, it's a lonely gig. I'm crushing the career of somebody <laughs> Who's probably a lot more talented than I am. Right? <laughs> but you hold on. on to you know, him. I've had the same assistant since I started the new group, and she's assisted me on everything that I've ever done. <coughs> and she's been my assistant for, uh, well, I guess it's almost 11 years now. And every Broadway thing outside of the new group, and everything that I've ever done at the new group, and she's been my, she's like my backbone. She's my best friend, and she's been, um, she's quite a deal older than me. She's about 25 years older than me, but and she's a soap star. But we've been. Um, <laughs> But she's been my assistant for forever, and I can't imagine uh, not working with her. Well, let's come off of the assistant issues and go now really to the work that you do. Earlier, everyone alluded in some way or another to having been a performer, or in Doug's case, at least growing up around performers. 
Do you think it's essential? Yeah, I performed with Beverly Sills, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in the Trump's spirit trio at uh, the City Opera. Okay. You know, so I don't want you to slight <laughs> my uh, resume as a performer. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> Bubbles and I are like that. <laughs> but let me ask you, do you think it's essential for a director to have acted? It couldn't hurt. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's essential, but I certainly don't think it, it, it can hurt. Um, that's all I'll have to say. I think, you, I, I think it varies on the person's personality. Do you know, I think that it really depends on the person. Some people, it, it could help. For me, it did, I think. It just gave me a different sort of perspective on the whole thing. But I think some, you know, some directors have never acted, and they're fantastic directors. So I don't think it's necessary, but certainly it gives you, it's, it's interesting. Is yeah, I mean, I think so much of directing is knowing how to talk to people. Yeah. And so in a way, whatever that is, that gives you the ability to navigate all of the personalities right. and all of those really difficult conversations. And whether that means you've studied biology or you've been a, an actor, or you've, I mean, I think no matter what it is, I mean, being able to work with designers, to work with actors, to work with producers, to deal with the money people, to, I mean, you have so many different personalities and I think sometimes very treacherous waters and I think whatever advantage that you have because of what other outside experiences you might have yeah. gathered, it helps. But you know it's so funny, like the kind of acting that I did doesn't reflect at all the directing that I do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like what I did was Broadway musicals. You know, I mean that was basically what I did. I trained my whole life to do that and that really isn't what I do normally. And I mean I I would if you know, I mean I have, but right, but but really it doesn't really reflect the sort of work that I do as an artist and it doesn't feel it's funny, it feels a part of me, but it doesn't feel a part of me. And so it's almost like I retired that part of myself when I became a director, but you don't really retire parts of yourself. It you're influenced yeah. by it, but mm -hmm. sure. my taste is not the same as the sort of work that I was that I was kind of forced to do, maybe that's why I hated it so much. Mm. I got it. So. I also think that um, you know the, the sort of the the skills that you have to learn as an actor are, are are useful to understand as a director, even if you don't act. I mean, I I the acting that I did in college and in graduate school and the studying of it was ex is extremely helpful in terms of how to conduct a rehearsal and also understanding what goes on for actors which is a very complicated thing <laughs> how to create character how to how to channel your psyche in and into a character and use that that stuff it, it's really nice to be very intimate with with the kind of things that they have to go through um, uh, you know and and so I, I, you know I just got I was thought I was going to be an actor and I just got too I just thought it was too much about myself, so much about the body and the voice and the speech and the action, and I was much big, inter more interested in the larger picture and the larger storytelling. But to understand that and to, uh, you know, I, I have this problem that I adore actors, and, I, and it's great to be around them, and I think they're, they, they're incredibly brave and courageous to do what they do, and it's not easy what they do, and they make it often look so easy. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm a, I, was, I was a huge fan of Joe's as a director, but also as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> and and th th that's an extraordinary thing, that, that you have that talent, that you could do both. But I wonder, do you miss it? That's what I... Well, you know, the, I was th thinking in answer to your question, you know, uh, the, something strange happened to me when I, was, when I started directing, uh, when, I, when I started taking myself seriously as a director, is that you know, all of the things that I would struggle with as an actor, all of a sudden were crystal clear. The trajectory of a character was crystal clear in a way that, you know, 
I thought, well, I would be such a better, if I wanted to act, I would be a much better actor now, knowing what I know as a director. But I don't have any, um, it's like uh, I've rearranged my DNA in a way that it doesn't even, it doesn't even occur to me to, you know, consider it. Lee, you said a few moments ago, you know, so much of directing is about communicating with people. And Doug, you made a very interesting comment early on where you, you, you used the phrase, I believe it was, or God forbid, actually have to direct them. <laughs> so what is the process of working with an actor? Is it about telling? Is it about showing? Is it about allowing them to find their way into something? But it's, it's, it's almost impossible to answer because there are as many answers as there are actors. With one actor, you give confidence. With one actor, you give, to the, you know, and, and, and then your job becomes trying to somehow make that seamless in the room. But it's, it, I mean, I can only speak for myself. There's not, there's not one way that I work in a room with, with you know, seven different actors. It, it would be impossible because they don't all need the same thing from me. And I also find that, that the more I do it, that the less I try to say, you know, that I've learned that patience can be a, you know, a great ally in the room. That whereas a, when I first started directing, I think I was, you know, really, I, I didn't quite understand the process enough to know that what they're doing in the second week of rehearsal doesn't mean that that's what they're gonna be doing, <laughs> you know, two weeks down the line, four weeks down the line, and that you have to pick and choose the right moment to learn, to learn when to give them what they need and to, to, to let them flounder. That's okay too, for me, I think. It's a, it's a political job. I mean, you have this constituency, all the people that uh, Lee mentioned, and, uh, and it's up to you. I mean, I, I find that I, I frankly perform a great deal as an actor. I think you're. I think you're there to embody a spirit about uh, uh, the proceedings. Uh, you're there to exude uh, confidence at times when you don't have a shred of it. Um, you're you're there uh, to um, sometimes I think to. Uh, uh, teach a company how to read the play. I mean that at a profound uh, level. Just what is this event about? You're there to forge a consensus about uh, why we're all doing this uh, primitive and uh, risky and at times possibly uh, humiliating uh, thing together. And, uh, you know, I guess there's an, a... a, a expression in the military, which I've always loved, uh, and it maybe sounds a little dictatorial, but it's called uh, command presence. You know, are, you, is, are people at ease with the idea of you as, uh, you know, the best definition I, I've always felt for myself, and the one I remind myself of, is that I am uh, uh, the, uh, a member of the audience who gets to talk back. I'm a, I am their surrogate. I sit where they're going to sit, except that I get to talk about how I'd like it to be lit or uh, what I think it's uh, about or what I think I sh should be buried or what I think should be uh, brought w more forward or what secrets I think can be 
kept or what flatters my intelligence and what seems to condescend to me, what awakens my imagination and what is so circuited and controlled that it shuts down my imagination and it, it keeps me out of the experience. I mean, I, and I, just as Joe has said, you know, I will, I'll make decisions about how to uh, have a good night in the theater uh, as a member of the audience and how, how to elicit uh, a sense of ensemble usually and, uh, uh, and to pick my battles about when it is the time to speak, when, when to say something will actually uh, humiliate or set us back or what to handle quietly, what to handle uh, in front of a group. Uh, you're making these decisions, you know, all, all the time. And it eventually you're doing so by instinct. John, you were nodding uh, through, through a lot of what Doug was saying. I mean, is that your experience uh, as well? It's true. And just to add, because I think he articulated it beautifully, but the, the, the other thing is the, you know, play to play and ensemble to ensemble, the director's job can be different. And, and each play requires its own tone and its own sort of conception. And forging that tone and helping and getting everyone literally on the same train, on the same boat, is, is one of the most important jobs of the director. And oftentimes the, the tone can elude both you and the, and the actors. And it's, it's terrifying and it's wonderful at the same time to try to figure that out. But that's, all, that's really what I would add to that, is that just the sense that you have to somehow have a vision and have a, a sense of what the play and the tone of the play is and rally your troops, that's the designers and the actors and the cast and crew behind that idea and hope that that idea can sustain itself. And if it can't, you've got to change it quickly <laughs> and find another tone and find another way to do it. Yeah, I mean, being flexible and being creatively dexterous seems also just something yeah. to add to both of your really great definitions. I mean, it seems like so much of directing has to do with being nimble. And it's like, oh, you start the day one way, and then it's like, okay, that's not working. Let's you know, take this turn here and being able to um, read a room, read an audience, read a performance at night, being able to stay really, really flexible, creative. It's also great because you know, actors, actors are also very complicated. And you have, to, you have to know when to give them the right, say the right thing or hope that you're saying the right thing at the right time because otherwise they can go down a different path and a path that isn't on the tone. It's very tricky. But that, I think it's like you're, a, like you're a little, so you have all your electrodes out there and you're just waiting for, okay, if I press that, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna kick off and make that little scene and that little moment that much better. So you're con I think, you know, I sit in rehearsal just constantly like listening and hearing and oftentimes writers will get very upset about that because they'll want results immediately and you know the process, you know that it takes weeks to do and you have a writer breathing down your neck saying, well, why aren't they, why aren't they funny here or whatever it happens to be. And the, the writer may have an, an idea about how he hears, hears the line, but that's not necessarily ultimately going to work with the particular actor you have. 
and trying to meld that and trying to, that's, it's challenging and wonderfully I'm, fun. I'm also fascinated by, I mean, I, I know I spend a lot of time watching how, they, how the actors interact with one another and trying to understand that group dynamic because I think it can be so, it's, well, first of all, it's fascinating. And that, and, but it's also quite useful because you really, you understand something about how to maneuver the group by the way, by, because they're, 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 they're interacting with each other in a different way than they're interacting with you sometimes. And is this issue of command presence, is it ever okay to not have the answers, Scott? Oh my goodness. Oh, sorry. You know, I, I think it's okay. You know, I get anxiety when I start, when, when everybody starts talking about like what happens in the room and how people direct, because I just feel like everybody's so different. It's such a personal thing. Like for me, personally, I could never describe like what I do. I've been asked over and over again, and I know I always do the same thing to a certain extent. You know, uh, based on like the group of people that I have in the room, but I, I, um, it, you know, it's really it's hard to pinpoint exactly what what it is because every director, I think, I mean, having worked produced several a lot of directors, everybody everybody has their own sort of way of doing it. I never went to directing school. I don't know. I didn't. I just kind of started doing it. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I didn't really even work with any sort of directors that were any good. You know, when I was when I was uh, working, and I I I um I take that back a couple, but uh, but you know, and I, I I so so for me it's it's a very sort of um, you know it's really personal. Like when I go into uh, when I go into work on something, I always bring myself into it personally, and uh, some people don't. Some people. Uh, don't believe that that's the right thing to do. Some people believe the right thing to do is to just serve the play and the playwright's ideas, but I can't really do that. I mean, I don't really, if I don't have an emotional response or a personal response to it, I have a freedom to kind of bring that in. I don't enjoy, I wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, so I, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I go into some sort of weird head when I'm directing. The time goes really fast, but and I don't really often remember the morning and the afternoon. Um, but for me, it's just always, like I try to just be myself as much as I can and, and create work that I, I, you know, I guess over the years, nothing against the audience. I love the audience and I want the audience to like it. But I've relieved myself of the pressure of having to force the audience to like it. I have to create it because it's my sort of thing. It's my work of art. And if an audience likes it, great. If the audience doesn't like it, that's great too. So I've, I try to be me in, in the rehearsal room and not be something else or try to create something that appeals to me. That's and so true about you because I've come to, you've, you've, you know, I've come to see your shows that, like you say, I, like a third preview. And well, you have, I think Earl, like, Earl you, was an early supporter of mine. I have to say that I just, this man really, I, you know, when you ask about where you get confidence from, you know, uh, I didn't really have any, I, I was never an assistant and I never, but a couple of people in my life who kind of came out when I first started working, uh, like Joe, um, and we've remained friends and sort of college. But you're so confident in a way that is, it's just shocking to me that you let people come to your third preview and, and it's what you say, you think like, well, this is where we are now and I'm comfortable with it and it's a process. I could never do it. Yeah. Ever. If you, know, you show funny. up on I my third speaker, I'm going to kill you. No, really, I think it's because <laughs> I've would. produced so many plays, and I've, I've, I've witnessed the anxiety of directors uh, from, uh, from, as a producer, and I feel it because I'm a director. So I've learned in a weird way to sort of, I just, I've, I've, I've let it go 
basically, well, and it's made and it's given me some it's amazing. amazing freedom. Amazing. It's given me some sort of freedom. I don't know because I, I, I you know, it, it's a personal job. You know, we're all you pick plays because you love them or you want to do them or you feel passionate about it, and uh, and so you have to stay true to your own self. And I sit in an audience, and sometimes I like things that people hate. Most people hate. Sometimes I love things, or I, you know, I hate things that everybody likes. So, uh, you know, I, so I had to say, well, I can never please go into it thinking about pleasing, you know, everybody in the world. So I just try to please myself and That's the incredible. artists that I'm working with, and and hope that everybody is, you know, clear and feeling good about the work that they're doing. And that's sort of my mission. I don't know. Well, with that, we're going to take a short break and hear a little more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequal forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. At the very top of the program, I alluded to the invisible director. One of the great challenges for anybody going to the theater, and indeed for our critics as well, is to understand what is the work of the director, how do we understand, watching a show, what the director has done. And I want to ask each of you in turn, are there things that you want people to understand that you've done, not on a specific show, but generally about about what to look for to understand where the director comes into the process. I'll start with Doug. Um, oh, I think there are all sorts of things that I wish people uh, uh, would uh, credit me for that I think I maybe even might deserve credit for, but I, I've long since given up thinking that that will ever happen. I mean, I, I don't think, I really don't think, even when, if you're going to see an auteur of the theater, if that makes uh, that phrase makes any sense, you know, somebody I think is a gen great genius like uh, Lepage or Peter Brook or whatever. I think people come to the theater to see actors on some sort of platform uh, at risk, uh, hoping to uh, rehearse the audience for the adventure of their own life. I don't, I, I don't think, I think that's what is mainly perceived and I think that is what should be perceived. I think that very primitive thing is what it's all about. And, um, and I think that in a way uh, that the contribution of a director can be 
enormous. Uh, and, there, and there are times when I think I've done uh, very well by uh, a, a production. Uh, but uh, in a way, the job is essential. It's like anything worth having. I mean, it's essential and it's superfluous. I mean, the, the event begins and, uh, and there it is. And I don't, uh, the fact that I uh, agonized uh, about its casting or cut uh, gently uh, one third of it, or uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, homogenize a group of disparate opinions about what it is we were doing is, is really irrelevant when the lights go up and probably should be. But from I mean, it, won't, it doesn't keep people from, from opining about what I've done. And that's part of uh, the job as well. I, I enjoy the job so much I like getting there in the morning, and I feel I'm much better in these little rooms, rehearsal halls, than I am just about anywhere else, uh, that uh, I'll, I'll pay the price for an ignorant assessment of what it is I've done or haven't done. So, Joe, do you think there are things that people can see and understand about what you've done, the age-old thing of did the actor decide to do that or did the director tell them to do that? Mm. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe other directors can. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a kind of an appreciation that directors can have for, for very subtle work. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the nature of collaboration is that it's, 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 it's hard to separate out mine, 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 mine. You know, it becomes kind of a soup after a certain point. And so, you know, I agree with what Doug says. I, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that, it's, that, that that is possible or even preferable in some way. You know, it is, it's, it's just, it's the nature of the job. Lee, do you learn from other directors when you go see their shows? And let's leave present company out of it. But can you see things when you go to another show to say, I like what the director did there? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, I mean, here we are, a group of directors, and we can't really come up with a perfect definition of what directing is, nor do we really want to. And because it changes from show to show, um, to to try and figure out what a director did when you don't even know necessarily what you did show to show, or you couldn't describe it show to show the way that Scott was saying. I mean, I think that it is essential that going, I mean, going to the theater is part of the job. I mean, I feel like it is what um, in some ways is the most frustrating, the most inspiring, the most exciting, the most um, harrowing part of, in a way, being having a life in the theater. It seems to me is being part of the community and supporting the community and um, and learning both from productions that you high hold in high esteem and productions that um, that you don't. I mean, I think that there's it's an essential part to being in the theater, no matter what discipline you're in to see as much as you can, when you can. So not to pursue what seems to be an unanswerable question, let me turn to what Joe mentioned, of course, the collaboration, and we'd be remiss if we weren't talking specifically about the collaboration between directors and authors. I believe you've all had the opportunity to work more than once on the work of particular authors. John, you've worked multiple times with David Ives. What is the relationship between a director and author? How do you develop 
that rapport. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's usually the writer's baby, and they, they it trust you to, to read it and read it in a way that is imaginative and would help uh, create a production. And so uh, David and I, uh, and then also Greg Cotis, who I'm working with now, uh, uh, he, the, the relationship is very important because it has to do with finding the tone and the style of the play. And I do think, sort of answer the other question, I do think you can go to the theater and you can understand a director's vision and a director's imprint, um, and an audience can experience that and love that. Um, and uh, I think you can see many, many versions of Hamlet and, and see a director's imprint on it in, the, in a way that is maybe loving and maybe considerate and also maybe bold and daring. That's and, in the case of if you're seeing multiple production, different productions yeah. of the same piece of I think, material, I think, it becomes evident. Right, exactly. And I think tone, I think tone is, the, is sort of the thing. Is this a, is this a should, should this be a wild play? Or should this be a focused real play? Does, should, this, should it only be real and let, let all the elements around it be wild? These are the questions that we as directors ask ourselves and try to, try to do on the stage. With a writer, it, it, uh, because especially because you're working on new work, you have that other thing, which is that you have to help them invent their play. You have to help, uh, help them edit their play if it's taking time off the play. You have to help them maybe reimagine a scene. And you have to think both as a director and as a writer. Um, which is a great experience, um, and uh, and that's where the collaboration is the most fun and the most challenging, um, and having a and having a taste for a particular kind of writing is a joy, and and it becomes your craft. Not unlike an actor has a particular taste. Jason Robards had a wonderful relationship to Eugene O'Neill. I think directors have great relationships to writers, um, um, and uh, and I mean. Alan Bennett and Nick Heitner right now, you can, you can, that relationship is very clear and evident in the history, history boys. And, and it's that double thing. It's the trust that this is my baby. I've written it, the writer says. I give it to you to give to these actors and, and, and let's form a production of this. And, and it's then also the vision that the director brings to the text and the ability to help the writer write the play. Sometimes the plays are unfinished when they arrive, or they're, too, or they're sprawling. Some of the, as an assistant, I, I watched uh, Joe, John Tillinger work with uh, Terrence McNally on Lips Together, Teeth Apart, and I saw how he just edited it. And what you did with, with Terrence on, on um, uh, um, I just forgot Love Valor. Love Valor, amazing, amazing, the, the, the relationship there. Um, and, it's just so vital to the, to the success of the play, that relationship. And a writer needs someone to help him or her develop the work uh, with the actors. Now, Scott, in your case, you've done a couple of shows written by Mike Lee. Yeah. Uh, but he, is he present for that? Mm -hmm. so, so you've had the same opportunity. Yeah. We've done four. So, again, what's... what's the relationship, how did that relationship well, it evolved. come to be? You know, like yeah. when, I first did his, when I did the first play, he wasn't around that much, but then he came and checked it out, and he liked it. And then as we you know, started working together, it just the relationship became, well, we're very close. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you work with somebody that many times on stuff that's so personal, because he devises his work in a very personal way, because you know, he devises his work through improvisation, it's a very kind of interesting sort of process. And, um, does he always direct the original productions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
he always directs the original productions, and then he hands them off to me, and uh, uh, for over here. And um, you know, it's just a sort of we have a sort of shorthand that we have with each other, and we enjoy each other, and we enjoy each other's sort of emotions, and um, we have an understanding. You develop these sorts of understandings. Um, we're planning to do, we're working on two others. So it's like a sort of ongoing relationship. When you find somebody that you love and that you trust, it's nice to keep it going. I have a similar relationship with um, Wally Shawn. Wally Shawn I've worked with several times. And he also is a um, sort of wonderful collaborator and feel like, you know, I can't think of two people I'd rather hang out with more than those guys. And so for me, it's a learning experience. I learn a lot about human nature. and and they both have great social consciousness, mm. you know, even greater, greater than mine, of course. And, um, and so I feel like for me, it's not just about the plays, but it's also about growing as people and, and growing as artists together. And every time I do a new play with one of them or, or even just a reading or whatever, I learn so much and I'm in the, uh, I wanna continue to learn more and more uh, about the work and storytelling and different ways that people tell stories. It's fascinating to me. So. You mentioned as you grow closer to these people, I'm wondering whether at times the personal relationship can make it tougher in circumstances with the professional relationship because you are in the process of sometimes saying something doesn't work or you want to remove something and people may hold something very dear. Lee, is that occurred for you? And we've worked a couple of times with Lisa Crone, once with, with her company and, and then with Well on her own play. I think that the more you work with someone, the better you know how to work with them on some very basic level. And, you know, the trust grows, the intimacy grows. So even though it's maybe harder to say the things that are hard, I also feel like that's, um, that's why you're there. That's why they want you there, is because you say the hard thing. Yeah. And, um, and I take that really seriously. I mean, I think that, um, that working, I'm, I'm, um, I feel lucky to have relationships with people who you work with so much because in a way, you just are able to shortcut so many other conversations because you know that person's taste, you know their sensibility, you know what they're gonna think and it makes the process that much deeper, that much faster, that much more efficient, I think. And um, the disagreement's always for me and with a kiss. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not about you know, hating each other or, or anything like right. that, it's about loving each other. You know, if you say something difficult, if Mike says something to me or, you know, oh, well, what about that moment? You know, I don't take it personally. And if I say to him, oh, well, that line is awful, he doesn't take it personally. It's like, you, you, why would you keep returning? If, like, I, if I didn't enjoy working with somebody, I wouldn't work with them again. Yeah. That's the way I feel about it. If I, didn't, if I didn't enjoy it, I would not go back. And that goes for actors, designers, whatever. If I, if I don't enjoy it, then for me, it's not worth it. Yeah. Then is the experience the same working with, I can't phrase this more indelicately, dead authors? When you take a classic work and you don't have the writer in the room. Doug, I know you've done some classical work, certainly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I spent, uh, I really did, you know, I had been in New York directing uh, plays at the Manhattan Theatre Club and I, I realized I had never done a play by a dead author. I'd never done, uh, and, and I, uh, I, took what I thought was going to be a kind of um, 
you know, finishing school out there in, uh, at the Seattle Rep. I got a job working for Dan Sullivan as his associate director, and I, I stayed out there for a decade because I could direct Ostrovsky plays, I could direct <laughs> Kaufman and Hart plays, I could direct uh, Shakespeare. I, I, I did, you know, half a dozen plays of Shakespeare out there. I'd never done a Shakespeare before. I did Ibsen, I did Moliere, and uh, and, the, and all the time the idea was that we were trying to make the, the theater out there as hospitable to new plays as possible. I mean, it was just fabulous, and, and the theater out there seemed a kind of sovereign form in the community. The audience was uh, quite exciting. I thought it, it, it was just uh, wonderful. And to uh, you know, encounter uh, The Winter's Tale and Twelfth Night and uh, Measure for Measure and The Miser and Hedda um, I, I was so, you know, such an in, in great, great luxury. Nobody's going to ask me to do those plays here in New York at, at, at that time. And, um, and uh, the notion of, yeah, having some kind of uh, commune with uh, uh, a genius. Uh, you know, I, I still think about The Winter's Tale and how I, uh, I really blew the first two acts of it and did all right with the last three. And I wish I could uh, go back and kind of atone uh, for my sins. I mean, those plays seem like uh, extravagant uh, mysteries across centuries, and you're you're reminded too that there is such a thing as as a history, that and that one of the obligations of the theatre is to remind us that there is such a thing, and that these conversations have been going on for a long time, and in an age when we're just dazzled by uh, uh, you know fleeting spectacle that's coming over uh, to us on you know various screens, that that, that there are these you know, rather ancient things that trouble us in whatever form. I mean, it's, a, it's a, just a marvelous uh, thing to be able to do. And now that I, I live in New York and I, I work mainly on new plays, I mean, it, it, I, I hope that somehow I can, you know, keep the hat trick going of, you know, conning somebody else into letting me have another shot at The Winter's Tale. As we talk about opportunities and we talk about where you get a start, we've been talking almost exclusively about plays, and some of you have, in fact, directed some major musicals. Making the transition from being a play director to a musical director, is that a shift? And Joe, certainly, you know, in terms of musicals, you've got one which is one of the major hits of recent years, Wicked. <coughs> How did you, what drew you to Wicked? in contrast to some of the other work that you might have been doing? I thought Wicked was just a really great idea for a musical. And, um, and, um, and I thought that if we did our job right, that it was gonna, that I thought people would, it would touch people and it would, it would tap into something. And, uh, you know, I think with musicals, in my very limited experience, it's got to be a great idea. It doesn't matter how talented everybody working on it is. If it's not a great idea, if it doesn't sing, if it doesn't, if it doesn't call for that kind of scale, then it just doesn't work, you know. Um, so I thought it was, I thought that, I just thought it was just a basically great idea for a musical. 
And do you use different muscles as a director when working on a musical? Well, there are more people in the room, obviously, so uh, that can be both a blessing and a curse. Uh, you certainly, there are certainly more votes on everything. Um, Actual votes? Well, yeah. Or, yeah. or, 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 or is it your <laughs> command, yeah. your command uh, presence, ultimately? No, I don't mean that. I just mean that, you know, when I'm working on a play, when any of us are working on plays, it's usually you're sitting there with the, 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 the author and, you know, maybe the producer might chime in. But, you know, it's really the two of you making the decision. There's a book writer, there's a composer, there's a choreographer, there's a musical director, there's you know, so, so, and everybody has to try to get their needs met. And finding that one person who can, you know, who encompasses everything that everybody wants can be quite difficult. Um, but I've been fortunate for the most part that everyone, most of the people that I've collaborated with, we, we really, you know, I've very rarely had any, uh, you know, knockdown, drag out fights about an actor. And, and you know now if I if I see that that's the way that it's going I'll uh, I don't know I mean that's usually not a good sign. <laughs> John, your well, experience going into um, musicals? I think I think to just sort of reiterate what Joe was saying, they're dramatically different in that there's a larger there's a larger consensus that you have to kind of corral that yes you are in sort of a command presence but you do have to listen to many many voices and some and and negotiating those voices and trying to figure out and sleeping through the night trying to think about what's the next move is the, is the most complicated because it, because it is, a, is something they do sing they do dance <laughs> they do they, we, you, you, sometimes you have a, a enormous technical show that you're trying to pull off um, and uh, for me uh, I, I I got started in musicals because uh, I did them in high school, but then I didn't do them through my early career. And then um, I was working with David Ives, and he and he um, he was also working at Encores, and uh, which is this great thing in New York, the City Center Encores, where they revive plays that that are just plays that will never get done, musicals, and um, and th and he he hooked me up with uh, Kathleen Marshall was running it at the time. And um, that was a great training ground for me because you have to put up a musical in two weeks, less than that, eight days, um, and you have a full orchestra, and, a, and you're, talking about, you're talking about a very large room as opposed to a play. There are a lot of actors, a lot of singers, a lot of dancers, and a, an enormous orchestra. And so those, the, it's a, the job becomes different. As, as great and as fun as it, as it is, it's just a different, it's a different task. It requires different, different uh, skills in that way. And also, you're, you're trying to tell story through song, which is a, is a big difference. Um, uh, I remember the first opera I directed, um, which was the opera of The Crucible, uh, uh, and it's such a great play. And, and it's such a great story. And the opera's a wonderful opera. But I remember saying to the, the singers, well, God, if you just didn't have to sing, we could do <laughs> So, you know, that, that's, that's the truth. You know, you're trying to give them a through line, but the through line is carried by music. And so you have to sit with your musical director or your composer or both and understand the through line that's in the score. And that's a wonderful challenge for a director, and that's the great thing about musical theater. Um, it becomes a, a wonderful playground in that way, um, and, and challenging at the same time. So it's a, I, I, like, I love being able to do both. It's a joy.
Scott, I believe I read a quote from you about Three Penny Opera where you talked about it almost as much as a play interrupted by songs. Yeah. Well, it was a sort of, that's the way it was kind of constructed, actually. Uh, you know, Brecht and Weill kind of got together and tried a new sort of form, uh, this sort of musical satire sort of thing, satirizing 80 million things. Uh, but but it, which predated the integrated musical, as we now talk about. Yeah. Them. So, so working on a show like that now, where we have a different expectation of what musical theater might be, is that is that something you that's particularly challenging in working on a piece like that? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know. I mean, it's, a, it's it's it was a challenging work. You know, just the sort of you know kind of going in there and you know trying to make something out of something that is so sort of you know, uh, revered in a way. And I guess that happens a lot of times when you do revivals. And you, if you work on revivals, people have sort of preconceived notions about the way they're supposed to be. So for me, I try to let all that go and not think about any preconceived notions and just kind of approached it, you know, Wally Shawn did a new translation and approached it in a way that was sort of fresh. I tried to look at it like a new show. And I tried to like, you know, relieve myself of the pressures of having to create something that people saw in the McCarthy era and loved or whatever. And I just tried to like look at it new and look at it fresh and put it out there that way. Um, and so uh, I, I think that the, uh, the challenge of it was that the songs have nothing really to do with the plot or the scenes. They're just kind of, they're thematic. You know, so they don't really drive the narrative forward in any way. They're just kind of there in between the scenes. And so figuring out that sort of, I guess you would call it vocabulary, if you were going to be academic about it, figuring out that sort of vocabulary was, uh, was interesting and challenging. And I just kind of did try to figure it out our own way. We kind of all got together and tried to figure it out our own way. Um, but I kind of had the luxury of producing a musical before I directed one. So, because uh, uh, we, we produced Avenue Q. And so that was an interesting thing to actually not direct a musical first, but actually produce a musical first. So I kind of got an education on, you know, how the kind of goings on about it before I actually got in there and did something like that. Um, so yeah, it's all really challenging. Everything's challenging. It's all challenging. <laughs> Isn't it? It's all, it is. Yeah. Everything's a new challenge. So. But a musical. A musical, <laughs> musical is, is hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Really hard. Because everybody hard. knows how to fix it. Yeah, everybody has ideas about the way it's supposed to be right, right? Yes, yeah. everybody does. It is it's really interesting. interesting. And, it and is. the fanaticism around musicals is so it's so interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, the kind of devotion that people have and the, the passion that they have for Towards them. When, musicals, it's true. Like when they're the, good and when they're bad. Yeah. And when it's not, you know, there's just a lot of noise around a new musical. It's yeah. true. When and also there's kind like of like interesting, like weird fans around musicals too. Like the stage doors <laughs> of musicals are, it's kind of scary. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. But you know, it, it, it's interesting to kind of see, I mean, for me, it was a new sort of thing. I've done a lot of plays with, you know, I've done a lot of plays with, you know, I guess you'd say celebrities who people come and they want to get their autographs and things like that. But you're right, this sort of kind of ferociousness around musicals. You know, it's funny, I had a funny thing. Uh, uh, around Three Penny Opera in a preview, and I, uh, I walked out the stage door, and my, uh, I ride my bicycle to the, to the uh, I ride my bicycle around town, so I was unlocking my bicycle, and this kind of lady came over to me, and she looked like she had been in musicals about 60 years ago, and she said, she said, uh, 
are you in the show? And I said, no, I'm not in the show. She goes, do you have something to do with the show? I said, yeah, I directed the show. She said, have I got some notes for you? <laughs> she said, I've got some notes. Do you want to hear them? I was like, I want, I can unlock my bike and get out of here now, but you know, you can email me or something. And it's funny. So yeah, people do have a sort of interesting, I've never had an encounter like that before in, in, in my career. I think, the, I think, great, it's a I think thing. the great thing about the American musical theater, just based on what you're talking about, is something that we talked about a lot uh, towards the end of the run of You're in Town here in New York City, um, was that musicals live in a different category. They live in the, they live really in the high schools of America. And um, I have nieces who sing everything out of Wicked. And, and it, it's, and I, you know, I performed in high schools and in musicals and it's a very different animal. And, uh, um, it's a great thing because of that. So the passion is, is higher in terms of the kind of fanaticism that we're talking about, because I think it starts at a very early age for the fans, either, either people who come to the theater or people who want to be in the theater or know about the theater. American high schools put on a lot of plays, but they put on a lot more musicals. And, and the passion is right there. And there are, probably, there are countless women who want to play Alphaba in, in that are you know 12 to to 17 right now and <laughs> and that's great because that's the enthusiasm for for theater and an enthusiasm for a kind of theater that you know should live a very long and healthy life and if you look at Broadway this year it's such an incredibly healthy place in terms of that in terms of the musical theater and the fanaticism thank god we have it and thank god they're that passionate because it it keeps it keeps us challenged it keeps us growing it, it keeps us inventing and trying to find various sources of, of of musical theater and ultimately it keeps musical theater being created because a, a, a young person who is in a, a, a production of wicked or a production uh, of of you're in town or whatever the show happens to be in high school that person may end up becoming a writer or a composer and um and so I think it, that fanaticism is, is just really as scary as it is for us and when we're, when we're working on them, it really is the blood of, of the success of the American musical theater. And, um, and thank God we have it because it's, it, keeps, it keeps us working and it keeps us challenged. But it's blurry now. <clears throat> for me, like, it feels like the, the, the American, like when I was growing up in the 70s and I used to go see a lot of musicals because I'm from the New York area, the quality of the musical is very different now. And I, I feel it, that I find a little kind of strange and discouraging is that the sort of challenge of the musical theater, the sort of work that gets done in the musical theater, it's not that it's not being written and every once in a while a sort of interesting, sort of challenging musical will surface. But basically, it's, it, the, you know, Broadway has become sort of, you know, well, it has. I mean, I, I hate to say it, everybody says it, but it's that sort of Disney musical thing that really didn't exist uh, when I was growing up. And so I found the musicals when I was growing up so much more challenging and so much more interesting than the musicals that are getting produced today. And um, I find I that weird, I, and I wonder why. I, I, I kind of I, wonder why. I don't want to lose Doug and Lee in this. Have you had the opportunity to do musicals, or do you have a desire to do musicals? But I'm having palpitations at the moment. <laughs> I'm wading into the whole realm of it uh, now. Yes. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, I've been uh, asked. But it's in that, you know, formative days, you know. I think it's a good idea. And uh, an act exists, and a half a dozen songs exist, and uh, this sort of strange 
hopefully very happy, you know, committee work process. I mean, if committee work can ever be happy, but uh, is is about to uh, is about to begin, and there are expectations for it and money being spent on it, and I'm so chary of it uh, and so aware of how perilous it all is that I don't even want to mention its name. You know, I, I, uh, uh, I think that it's, um, uh, you know, I, I imagine it will be, uh, I, I, I do need to do something that'll give me a good scare right about now, and uh, uh, this will undoubtedly furnish it. Lee? I am, I'm working on a musical um, that has been workshopped for a couple of years now. The best thing about it is the title, um, in fact, of this one. Um, and um, it's um, like most of the other things that I've worked on. There are a bunch of people who have never done it before. It's my first musical. And a, a couple of really brave producers decided to take a risk. And I feel like the best, I mean, it certainly happened with Well the same way. I mean, we were all... Um, making our Broadway debut in, in this situation. I mean, I've been lucky enough to find people who um, are willing to say, all right, you've never done it before. I'll, we're going to try and give you a crash course and see as many of the musicals as you can and learn as much as you can, and we'll, we'll work on it. It's been in development for a while, and we'll see if it ever... <laughs> They're like movies musical in yeah. where they take years, years to kind of, I mean, how long did you work on Wicked for years? I probably did maybe two and a half years of, when I came on, maybe about two and a half years of development, and they'd already been working, working on, on it about before. a year. Yeah, it takes forever. It's yeah. like films, yeah. you know, they come and they kind of, Four years, they yeah. go like this and, you know, Well, because they have to come once together. it's up and running, it's this, it's this locomotive that if you're going to make changes, you better make changes before, yeah. you know, People have you know, yeah. designed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, but even then, when you you know, it's it's really yeah. Wedding Singer was two years of development, four workshops. I mean, it's just that's short. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's short. That's short, really. You know, when you think about how long these things just did, I have a couple that I'm working on that are in development, and I'm not rushing. I feel like well, there's no reason to really rush. Yeah. It's better to just kind of like take your time, work through it, and and figure it out because then eventually you have to do it. Yeah. You know. I want to change gears almost entirely, except that you've talked, as we've been talking about musicals, about all of the elements and all of the disparate places. And the early part of our conversations were about interpretation and working with actors. How much of your job involves very technical, factual, hard and fast things, dealing with budgets, dealing with what can be physically achieved? And how do you, how do you deal with that? when the impulse is primarily an artistic one. Doug, I'll, I'll start with you. I, th I think it's a, a huge part of the job. I mean, the, the, the limitations are very uh, defining. I mean, I, I think the, the architecture of the place you're going to do it, for one, is a huge influence uh, on me. You know, where it's going to be... Uh, set down uh, how an audience will regard it. Are we in a bear pit or are we in a big uh, proscenium theater? I mean, I'm very, very anxious now about the fact that uh, Doubt, which is, you know, a play that we first did in a 300-seat theater and then we did it in a about, you know, an 800 and some change theater and I think we, we handled that well. Now we're going to take that 
uh, out on the road and it's going to play vasty halls, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very anxious about how much the event can expand without uh, 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 losing its essence, you know. I mean, it's going to play places in certain cities of 4,000 people. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, and it was booked originally into the Curran Theater in <coughs> San Francisco. Now it's gone into the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. And I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very anxious. I mean, that, that, that's a sidetrack. But I, but, I, but I think that, you know, where can it... Um, succeed? Where can it uh, connect? To this show I just did with uh, uh, of, of Richard Greenberg's The House in Town was a, a, an enormously difficult thing for me to figure out how to uh, uh, get on stage with John uh, Lee Beatty, who I mean, we went through four different versions uh, of, of uh, the design uh, some of them spectacularly under budget, some of them wildly over budget. Um, in the end, uh, I don't know that I've ever uh, uh, felt as though I've had a production, I'm sure others have had the production, where, where I felt that the, the fact that uh, the sky was not the limit budgetarily uh, drastically impeded uh, something I wanted uh, uh, to do, and um, you know. But I, but I, I, you know. And I've also run a theatre. It's also been my uh, responsibility uh, uh, to uh, uh, look after uh, uh, a budget, and so. Uh, you know, as Scott has said, I think a, a lot of that uh, uh, anxiety fiscally I, I, I seem to have almost, uh, you know, brought into my uh, approach to production. But you said earlier limitations are defining. Can limitations also be freeing for but people? But I meant that when I said that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 think, I think that's what, you know, how do you do this play in a thrust uh, space, even, uh, you know, I mean, I did this play Frozen and I had originally thought, oh, I can easily see how to do this on a proscenium stage. It was much better on the stage that, you know, the fate dealt me, which was a little thrust stage and then later on a, a somewhat bigger thrust mm. stage. Lee, what's your response to how you deal with limitations? I think it's, it's always just best to know everything. I, I don't know. I mean, I think figuring, knowing what the budget is, figuring out how to work within it, knowing what the space is, having the most information possible. I mean, that's sort of your job is, in a way, is to know everything or to know a little bit about everything so that everyone else can do what they need to do. I mean, I think um, I don't certainly have, have the experience um, that anyone here does, but I think that my sense of trying to learn as much as possible from the people that you're working with all the time is really important. And knowing, um, I mean, you were saying in terms of budget and that kind of thing, I mean, I think it's only helpful to know and to figure out what the parameters are and whether you're given a huge space or you're given a small space, it is, I think you can only 
make it work to your advantage, you kind of have to. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the gig, is like, here's, here's the play, and here's the space, and we want this, and it's, you figure out how to make it the most exciting event that it can be within all of the limits. And I think that um, those, those, what end up being the parameters of the project actually make it the unique thing that it is that you give them. Scott, I see you nodding. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have the uh, unfortunate job of saying no to directors all the time as far <laughs> as budget goes. But I think, you know, um, you really, your imagination, it, that's part of it. I mean, I get off on it. You know, I mean, I, I put the same limitations on myself that I put on the directors that work at my theater. I don't treat myself better than the other directors that work at, at my theater. And I think that there's, um, you know, there's a way, it's poetic. It's like we're really all poets or whatever, you know, we're all, we all have a poetic side. And I always find that like it, it helps me be more imaginative and I find it fun actually and I do work that way whenever I go to other places I don't work out of my own theater a lot but when I do um, you know I try to I, I, I try to be as you know respectful of other people's budgets and things like that and try to use my imagination as best as I can to make it happen I think it's part of the challenge and makes it interesting and not so easy so yeah and I think that we're going to let that be our final thought. Oh, I've spent. We're going to end on oh, a no. note of fiscal <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> the limitations. Oh my God! Limitations of time define <laughs> that we must do that. Uh, I've spent the past 90 minutes trying to define something which you have all said to us is ultimately not precisely definable, and so we. My mother still only. doesn't know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? What did you do up there? <laughs> so we will simply thank you for doing all of the things that you do, whatever they may be. <laughs> the American Theatre Wing seminars are brought to you by our longtime partners, CUNY TV, in association with the CUNY Graduate Center's Department of Continuing Education and Public Programs. Please join me in thanking our panel and for their work. Thank you.